So we are going to be continuing our sermon series on the names of God. Why we feel this important is that God was very strategic about how he, re- how he revealed himself. And the way that he, he named himself or revealed himself to people in the Bible is so important because what it does is it gives us clues to the attributes of God and how we are meant to relate to him. Remember last week we had a guest speaker, um, Pastor Bill Anstruther, who began to introduce this concept and he talked about how God has two primary names. He will answer to God, don't worry about it. So if you've been calling him God all along, it's still fine. But in the Bible, he, he has two Hebrew names. And the first one is Elohim, which is a plural. And it's a, w- used in the first chapter of Genesis. It's, it's creator God, the almighty one, the powerful covenant-keeping God. And we learned that, surprisingly enough, the word Elohim is plural. And God, when he revealed himself initially, was giving people p- clues to the fact that he is three in one. That although he's one God... There are attributes and things about him that are a mystery and that he would reveal other parts of him in the form of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in time to come. And then we learned about the other name for God, which is Yahweh. And you remember Pastor Bill telling you that Yahweh was such a sacred name that when they wrote it in, well, all Hebrew is written without vowels. You only, you only write the consonants when you write Hebrew. And um, when, because this name was so sacred that whenever they came to it written anywhere, instead of pronouncing it, they just said, Lord, Adonai. And so over the years, we know how all those Hebrew words in the Old Testament are pronounced because people pronounced them and they spoke in words. But no one knows how Yahweh is pronounced because no one said it. So we only have the consonants and we, we left guessing, but... Over time, people, when they wrote out the Old Testament, instead of just writing the consonants, they put the vowels for Adonai in there so that people, when they saw that word, would say Adonai. And so, later, people not really understanding this saw this word in the Old Hebrew texts, saw the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai, they put them together and they made the word Jehovah which is a composite of those two words. So often you will hear God called Jehovah, but whenever he is called Jehovah, actually it's referring to that very sacred name that the Jews had of him, which is Yahweh. And we also learned that these two names throughout the Old Testament are linked with other words to give a good idea of who God is. Amen. So, Lord, I pray that as we start talking about El Roy, the God who sees today, Lord God, that you would come and speak to our hearts. I I want everyone here to leave knowing that they can trust you, Lord God, knowing that, Lord God, you are the God who sees every facet of their life. Lord God, I just ask for grace to preach your word your way, and I ask for grace on every heart here to hear your word your way. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said amen and amen and amen. So there is this fascinating story where God is revealed as Elroy. El is from Elohim. So this is like um, using that, that name of his, Elohim, and then adding the word Roy on the end, which means 
that sees. So God is revealed in Genesis 16 as the God who sees, the God who sees me. It's a really, really great story. One of those stories that ministers to my heart in a particular way because there's this underdog who through her encounter with God is elevated and just um, has a breakthrough in her own personal life. But the story goes that God had come to Abraham and he had said to Abraham that your children will be as many as the stars of the sky and the grains of sand on the earth. And Abraham had believed this and walked along and gosh, now he was 86 and he still had no children. And although he remembered that promise, you know what? His faith was taking, taking a, a toll. His wife, who was also old and beyond childbearing years, the Bible says, was also obviously battling with when is this, when is this promise going to come to pass? Have you ever been disappointed? Have you been, ever been disappointed with God? You don't have to say it out loud. <laughs> but have you ever had a promise from him? Or you've, you've seen something that was meant to come to pass, and it just hasn't worked out the way you expected. It didn't happen when you expected it. And you still hear the promises of God, but you're like, oh, is there something I missed? Is there something I was supposed to do? You know, has God forgotten me? Well, the Bible doesn't exactly say this, but my guess is that Abraham and Sarah were in that place. And the Bible talks about how Sarah, her name was still Sarai there. It was changed later to Sarah. But she, she concocted a plan. She thought, oh, well, you know, God's taking a little bit longer than he should. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help him along a little bit. Have you ever felt like that? The problem is when we help God long, but we usually step into ungodly territory. So guess what she did? There was a custom in those days <laughs> where you could take your maidservant. Say, say as a woman, you couldn't bear children. You could take your, someone in your household, one of your servants, and you could give her to your husband. I mean, just even that, that you could give someone to someone is just like mind-blowing. You know, can we all just say, Lord, thank you for justice? <laughs> and that it's not like that anyway. That you could actually give someone like a commodity to someone else. But anyway, you could do that. And if your maidservant had a child by your husband, that child became your child and you raised them as your child and it was like you had had children. So the, the stigma of barrenness was removed from you. I know horrifying, but this is true. That's how it was. Praise God for Jesus who changed things. So Sarah went and did that. She had a maidservant from Egypt by the name of Hagar, and she went to her husband and said, now you can see, first thing, her disappointment is driving her to ungodly solutions. She gives her maidservants to her husband. My guess is that Abraham's disappointment is driving him to ungodly solutions because he said yes. So Hagar, the victim in this case really, gets handed over to Abraham. They sleep together and she falls pregnant. Now the, the really funny thing is Sarah, who was kind of asking for this, is now mad. 
Hagar, seeing herself pregnant, kind of thinks, ah, I'm a little bit better than, than Sarah who couldn't have a child. And so she starts stepping into ungodly solutions and starts kind of saying nasty things about Sarah. Now you can imagine, this is family dysfunction 101, right there. Everyone is doing the wrong thing. So Abraham, to make matters worse, <laughs> says to Sarah, because she's complaining to him about Hagar now, and Abraham says to Sarah, you do with her whatever you want. I mean, just sorry, guys. Can we all just take a deep breath and forgive Abraham right now? And Sarah, let's take a deep breath and forgive her. She starts treating Hagar horribly. So Hagar does the only sensible thing. She runs away. I don't know if it was the only sensible thing, but to her it obviously seemed like that. And we will pick up the story in Genesis 16 from verse 7. It says, are you all feeling traumatized by that story? Yeah, yeah. But don't worry, <laughs> but God. <laughs> now God steps into the scene. They, you, know what, you know what I love about, about this story is that these three people made a mess. And yet God still stepped into it and brought redemption. So reading from verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Because she's in the middle of the desert and, you know, it's like, hello. <laughs> I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel, the angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. He will, your son, he will be a wild donkey of a man. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I just... We'd have to ask a Hebrew person. His hand will be against ev everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. We know that's not a compliment. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her there. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Roy, which simply means the, the well where God sees me. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham gave the name Ishmael, which means God hears, to the son she had born. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So it says the angel of the Lord came to Hagar. I know we've spoken about this before, but the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is different from angels and an angel. But when the Bible talks about the angel of the Lord, it's talking about a very special person. And whenever the angel of the Lord comes into the scene in the Old Testament, people give him homage as if he were God. 
So we, as Christians looking back to the Old Testament, can know this, that when the angel of the Lord arrives on the scene in the Old Testament, it was God himself. And who is the physical representation of God on earth? None other than Jesus Christ. This is Jesus Christ before he ever came as a man, intervening in human affairs to direct them towards the place where the fulfillment of his mission can come to pass. Jesus Christ, seeing the misery of this woman, seeing the victimization of what she's done, and seeing how she has messed up also by being rude to Sarah, he, he looks down and he says, I, I have a mission to rescue humanity, and I am going to step down into their world and bring about resolution in this situation. So Jesus steps down and meets her. One of the things he says to her is this, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. What does that remind you of? Does it remind you of anything? It's almost the same covenant that God made with Abraham. It's almost like he's saying, guys, listen, you've messed up, but I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to bring you into my blessings. I'm going to make the same kind of covenant that I made with Abraham with you. And the thing that I kind of understand from this is that when God is looking down at the earth and looking at your life, that he sees more than just you, he sees nations. That Jesus knew who this young child would become. And right there, he was putting the seeds of redemption for nations into being. One of the great promises, or I guess redemptive purposes of the whole narrative of the Bible is that throughout it, we can see how God desires for every nation to worship him. How God, God, the culmination of all of history will, will be when every cultural group, every ethnic group, every kind of person is before his throne and glorifying him where the whole world, all the nations reflect his glory in one form or another. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Revelation 7 verse 9 talks about the culmination of history and it says this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And you know my, I, you, this is a dilemma that I've faced when I've read the Bible. I actually often felt really angry at Jewish people from this perspective. I know you're going to be shocked, but it's like, why did they get to be the chosen people? You, you, have you ever felt like that? It's like, you know, you know, I want to be a chosen person too. 
You know, why did they get to be that? And I think we have an answer to that there, is that, is that God chose a nation to bless all nations. That, that in his heart, when he chose Israel to bring the Messiah onto earth, he wasn't choosing Israel because they were better than the others. It's because he needed one nation to put the Messiah in so that the Messiah could bring all nations into the kingdom. So when God chose Abraham, he had you in mind. He had Hagar's children in mind. He had people in Asia, in Africa, in the Americas, people, people groups that no one even knew about at that stage. He, he had them in mind to bring every kind of person into his kingdom, to invade every kind of culture, every kind of heritage, every kind of place. I'm going to give you a little bit of geography. Are you good with that? You thought you had finished with exams. Well, here we go. But I found this so interesting. This is a, a map of the world, and all the blue countries are where evangelical Christian Christianity, that's the kind of Christianity we embrace, the one that wants to reach out to others around them. In all those blue countries, that is where evangelical Christianity is growing faster than the birth rate. Guys, can we all just worship Jesus for a moment? Guys, this is a movement that's taking over the world. I want to propose this to you, that God's plan will not be stopped. I want to propose to you that God is indeed causing his glory to be manifested in every country, in every nation, in every people group. He will not stop until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord to the glory of his Father. I want to propose to you that we are on the winning side. It's fascinating. The orange ones are where um, evangelical growth is slower than the population, but, but it is very well established. But let's take note of that, because one day you might be sent as a missionary to America. Why not? Because I see evangelical Christianity growing in South Africa faster than it's growing in America. And then the red countries are those where evangelicalism is decreasing. Um, so Japan, New Zealand, and Scandinavia. Anybody want to go there? Because, oh no, 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 no. Red should say to you, I'm heading there. That's where I'm needed. <laughs> That's where I'm needed. <laughs> one, one more map that I want to show you is, although the evangelical Christianity, Christianity is increasing um, all over Africa and most of Asia. Those red countries there are countries in which evangelicalism has just begun. We call it the 420 window. Those are countries that historically have not heard the gospel and have only recently heard the gospel. Those countries are the places where people are Christians are most persecuted. And I want to propose to you, if you want to see God move in dynamic power, you should probably do a mission to one of those countries. Because we understand that God's vision, passion, and desire is that every single one of those nations would be filled with the glory of his son. And he is working to bring that.
to pass. God sees the nations. And you know, as Christians, I feel like there's something in our hearts that wants to see this come to pass. Not only does God see nations, but God sees you. You know, I love this story because to some degree I identify with Hagar. Do you, guys, you can identify with her too. You know, she's, she's the one that, um, you know, in the crowded room no one noticed. You know, she's the one, have you ever been to, to a meeting or something and you, you like saying something and everyone's ignoring you and then someone else says it and they all go, wow, what a great idea. And you're like, ha. You know, sometimes maybe at the office you feel like you're the one where, you know, you're just always getting the jobs and, and then you like producing them for your boss and then you have the year in function and your boss is lauded for like accomplishing this great stuff and you know who did the work. You know, maybe, maybe you know, you've been misunderstood. Maybe you, you walked into a situation and you um, were doing your best to make it right and everyone thought you were trying to, like, get your own way or promote yourself and, you know, you just had to say, ah, oh, do people not see who I am? Why don't they get me? And I think we've all experienced things like that and I feel like to some degree Hagar is that person. You know, a maidservant, a very disempowered person in that society, but at the same time, not well understood. And yet God comes and meets her. And here's the thing. If you, if you look at God's lineage of him bringing the Messiah into the world, she was on the left of that. And yet he cared. And yet he was willing to step down out of heaven to her world and say, we're going to set this right. Because here's the thing, God sees you. God hears you. God knows you. The dreams, the passions, the desires, the personality, the things you battle with, he sees you. He sees you where you have been wronged and where you've wronged others. I mean, that's the scary part. <laughs> he sees everything. But what I love about the story is how God redeems everyone. The people who've done wrong and the people who've been wrong. And, you know, for so many of us, if we have to think honestly about our lives, yes, people have done wrong to us, but if we actually get down to it, we've done wrong to other people too. And sometimes I like it when I'm in my prayer closet praying to God. I don't really have a prayer closet. That's just a way of saying when I'm praying. When I'm praying, you know, I sometimes think, God, could you answer me? Because, you know, I've done this, this, and this. You know, I shouted at Andrew yesterday. I kicked the dog the other day, which I, I don't really do, but say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever it is. It's like, God, God, will you hear me? You know, or like, I'm, I'm always too embarrassed to ask. 
But the beauty of this story is that God stepped past their human failings. And he said, I know that you're not perfect, but come, let's walk through this together and make it right. Here's a fascinating scripture. I only found it when I was studying for this sermon. It's in Psalm 10, and it's verses 11 and 14. It says this, The wicked man says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it to take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. And you know that attitude that we have, oh, God's forgotten me, God doesn't see. This scripture puts that in the realm of wickedness, saying, you know, no, that's that's not how the righteous behave. The righteous understand that God sees everything. And he takes the pain and the misery of our lives in hand to change it. God sees you. He sees your circumstances that you've inherited and the ones that you've created. How many of you trust and hope that your children will be born into better circumstances than you? Because many of you are saying that the circumstances I was born into were not great. God sees that. And God has a plan to remedy that. There's uh, a man by the names of Miles Monroe. How many of you know him? He's a very famous Christian, very famous Christian. Written incredible books about the kingdom. If you ever get your hands on them, you certainly should read them. He died in a plane accident not too long ago. But the legacy that he's left is amazing. And I actually had the privilege of meeting him uh, in Namibia when we were planting a church there. He came to do some work with the government but what, what really astounded me about him is that he was so influential internationally. Like whenever he came to a nation, all the governments wanted to sit down with him and talk about ways to effect land reform, how to run their governments, how to work well, to bring prosperity to all people in the country. And he was called upon a lot in that arena. Exceptionally, exceptionally influential, not only in the church world, but in the political arena as well. What fascinates me is that he was born in poverty. Him and his 10 siblings lived in a shack in Barbados. He slept in his early years on a dirt floor with the cockroaches and rats. He had an encounter with God. God came and visited him and gave him a picture of him living in prosperity and with influence and with international influence. And so that stopped him from running around and just creating havoc in his neighborhood. So instead he decided he would just stay home and watch TV. That would keep him out of nonsense. And the story goes how his mother, finding him watching TV again, said to him this, If you ever want to be on TV, you better stop watching it. (laughs) In other words, (laughs) watching TV is never going to get you to be the kind of person who's on TV. So then he stopped watching TV and started reading books. Much better plan. 
and reading his Bible and studying. And one of the quotes I have of his, it says, I was reading the scripture one day as a teenager and I saw where it says, if you keep my laws, then you will have good success. So I discovered that success has very little to do with education or race or disposition. It has more to do with biblical principles and following these principles. Does that make you feel happy? <laughs> Guys, it means that everyone has an equal chance of success in life. Listen to me. It means that you stick with God and He will intervene to bring about blessing, grace, and glory in your life. It means that, that no matter where you were born, how you were born, God sees you and God is able to step into your world and bring about resolution and greatness. God sees who you are and who you can become. Have you ever berated God about your own personality? You know, I, I am not known as a, as a, like a timid, non-opinionated person. So if I think something, you will usually hear it. And this has gotten me into a lot of trouble over the years. <laughs> And, you know, I remember going before the Lord and saying, God, can't you just change me? Make me different. Make me not think like this. Make me not like these things. Make me not care about this stuff. And, you know, as clear as anything, God said, no, then I'd be working against my own plans. And he said to me, I made you like that for a reason. I will teach you how to manage it, but I will not change it. And here's the thing about who you are. God made you like that because he likes it. And perhaps you're going to need to manage some part of your personality. But God sees it, likes it, and he will work with it to make it something fantastic. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a story. It's a, it's a personal story um, about my son, David. But it's not meant to exalt him, and it's not meant to exalt me as his mother. It's meant to give you a picture of just the greatness of God. So my son David, when he was about six or seven, we noticed some, when he, when he did kind of educational things, he didn't always perform well and stuff, so we, we sent him to a psychologist, an educational psychologist. They said there's something definitely wrong with the way he processes information. We worked with him. We got him into school. He started school and didn't do well at all. Um, battled, battled to read, and the concept of letters and words were very, very difficult for him. Um, again, took him to specialists, knows he's got learning disabilities, very, very severe dyslexia, put him on various training programs, working with him, trying to, trying to help him through this difficulty. The bottom line is he didn't learn to read until he was 11 years old. For all of you who have children, that's very, very old. And even then, it was very like the at cat, you know, just very stilted and not very fluent. I do have the permission to tell the story. I went through it with him in supper last night. And, you know, so we worked and we did all the remedial things. He kind of progressed through school, battled, but got through, had to work exceptionally hard. And when he was in high school, he was in grade 10, 
the headmistress of the school he was at called me in and said this to me, your son will not pass matric. So it's better to take him out of school now and kind of deal with that. You know, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. Went home and my connect group were, I had a connect group and they were around. I told them the issue and as connect groups do, we prayed and they were praying for me. And one of my friends, she said, you know, I just, as we were praying, I got this picture. I saw David standing in a graduation gown with a graduation cap and holding a degree. You know, you don't want to discourage people when they're prophesying. But at that moment, you're inside. I was rolling my eyes and saying, boy, has she got it wrong. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that that was even a possibility. But outside, I said, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so it was funny. From that moment on, we started seeing an improvement, and he started just doing better and better at school. We didn't take him out of school. We said, no, we're going to press on. He passed matric and got into university just, just. <laughs> okay, now here's the glorious part. The glorious part. At the end of his bachelor's degree, he was top physics student. At the end of his honors year, he was top student for the entire faculty of science at WITS. Now, guys, and you know what? This is not about how great he is. And when he comes in, please don't like, say, oh, you're so marvelous, because this is what he hates. Or this is about there is a God who sees you and sees your future. There is a God who is willing to intervene in your life. There is a God who's willing to help you answer your dreams. There is a God who's willing to walk with you and bring things to pass that could not be if he were not there. That's what this is about. There is a God who knows you. Last of all, God sees the future. You know, there's a really funny thing is that when God intervened in Hagar's life, what did he tell her? He said, go back to Sarah. I mean, what? No, seriously. I mean, what is that? I'm like, God, you don't see anything. But, he, but here's the thing. He knew something about that child that was in her womb. And he knew the perfect place for that child to be raised. And he knew he didn't want that child raised roaming the deserts. He wanted that child raised in an environment where Yahweh, or the name of Yahweh, was exalted. That this child would grow up with a father who loved him. Because it's evident from the future that Abraham did indeed love Ishmael. And you know, for so many of us, sometimes God seems to push us into circumstances that are so uncomfortable. He tells us to go back to things that we just don't like. He asks us to eat our spinach. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He's like, it's like, no, I see you, but I also see the future I have for you. And I know that you must have this in your life in order to accomplish that which is coming. And so sometimes God seems like, why would you do this to me? Why would you put me in this? But he's a God who sees, and he's a God who sees your future, and he's a God who's unwilling to compromise the glory that is to come. 
And therefore, we can trust him. And when he says, go back to Sarah, or go back to that job, or endure this situation, or be kind to that person who doesn't like you, or continue that degree, or whatever it is that just doesn't feel nice and pleasant, we can trust him because we can know this is a God who sees me and he sees the future and he knows what is coming and he knows what I need to prepare in my life now. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? I'm not going to actually read those two scriptures there, but an interesting thing that um, I'd love you to know about Ishmael is that Ishmael is the father of all the Arab nations. I'm not sure if you know that. But what is fascinating me, I did some research about the Arab culture, and you know, much, much of it is Muslim, um, but there are significant Christian communities amongst the Arabs. I don't know if you know that. Very persecuted, but significant and growing. But also, did you know that in the world there are between 300 and 400 million people of Arab descent? It's the second largest people group after the Han Chinese in the world. When God said, I will make your descendants more numerous than you can count, he meant it. And when God makes promises to you, he means them. And he will bring them to pass. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. In conclusion, God sees nations, God sees you, God sees the future. Therefore, you can trust him and follow him wholeheartedly because he's the God who sees. Amen and amen. Church, let's pray. Lord, I ask, Father God, there are people here who, are feel, who feel unseen. They feel lost, unnoticed. They feel like their life doesn't count, Lord God. And I'm, I'm asking that today that would change. Father God, in their, in their lives, I'm asking right now that you would come and meet them. Lord, I'm asking that right now we would have an encounter with you, Lord God. I'm asking for more than information, Lord. I want them to know you as the God who sees. I want them to know you as the God who notices everything. 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 Father, Father, would you come? Would you come and dispel the fears, the loneliness? the disappointment. Lord God, would you come and would you change our expectations of you? Would you change our expectations of our future, Lord? And would you give us the courage to trust you wholeheartedly? To trust you wholeheartedly. Father God, I just also feel like in our hearts there needs to be a commitment to your mission on earth, which is that every nation, every people group, every country would see your glory. And Lord God, we want to commit ourselves to pray and to go, to be the kind of people who will unashamedly with our neighbors, with those people different from us, 
share things that will bring them closer to you. We want to be a people who will pray for the lost, Lord God. And Father God, even right now, we just, we just pray for those countries in that 1040 window where there is persecution and the gospel is, is it, expanding, but it's coming with violence and anger. And Lord God, I'm asking that, that you would bless every Christian in those places. You would strengthen them, Lord God. Those that are being persecuted and dying for their faith, we just ask, Lord God, don't let them give up. Don't let them give up. Lord God, we ask for the the governments and the officials of those nations that they would bow their knee before you and that the gospel, the door for the gospel would be opened in those places, Lord God. We ask that there would not be a person on this earth who would, who, who did not hear the truth of who you are. Lord Jesus, as you step down, In that time, I'm asking that you would step down into those nations. You would step down into those nations. Lord God, Lord God, and we ask that we would be the people who would unashamedly do what is necessary, that your kingdom would be known and that your glory would be seen. Father God, set us free from our fears, our insecurities, our self-centeredness. Lord God, to know you. Thank you, Lord. And while we're in that place, I just want to ask if there's anyone here and you, you know that you've been living a life far away from Jesus and you would like to change that. You're going to ask for him to step down in your life, not just in an everyday way, but to step down in your life and, and take you on a new path. You know that the path that you've been on is not leading to the place you want to go. And you want to commit your life to Jesus. And if there's anyone who would like to do that, can you just raise your hand? Because I would love to pray for you. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Lord, we just bless you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. We love you. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand.